Hello, Hope Church family. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. We are concluding our discipleship series, or are we? Because discipleship is a part of life, and it is a part of Hope Church. At the very beginning of this study, we wanted to say that we don't want discipleship to be something we do. We want it to be who we are. So what I will say is this, even though we are concluding this series, it continues with you and it continues with me as we live it out. Now, one of the passages I mentioned at the very beginning, the first week that we started this, was Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, the Great Commission. And I said, we talk more about it later. And here I am fulfilling that promise because that is where we will be tonight. But I want to really take a look, an exegetical look, meaning we are going to go deep into exactly what this is saying for you and for me and how we live this out. Now, I want to say I am so thankful for all of the different uh, men and pastors, uh, Christian leaders who have come and have been part of this discipleship series. I have gone back and watched so many different parts of them. Uh, not my messages, so it's not prideful. I have just so enjoyed uh, these men who, again, who I've specifically asked to come share from their heart. And if you, So if you've missed anything in the series, please go back and watch it. In fact, I've heard uh, from one pastor that they actually want to use this series as a training for their church in discipleship. So I'm so excited. Uh, just again, um, I hope you appreciate the, the time and energy and effort that uh, so many people gave up to make this happen. And so in some ways it's sad. However, next week we start the Sermon on the Mount and discipleship continues to play into the entire thing. Uh, I don't think we've started a title, but I'm calling it Kingdom Living. This is how we are to live in the kingdom of God. That starts next week. But I want to start off with the Great Commission. Before we read this passage, it was interesting. I actually had an email this last week from the Barna Group. The Barna Group does uh, these major surveys and there are all sorts of stats and all this information. And it just so happened, I think two weeks ago, I got an email. Uh, I think I was actually on the phone with Will when I saw the email. And I said, wow, a Barna survey says that 50% of church-going Christians have no idea what the Great Commission is. Let me say that again. Half of church-going Christians, not just people who say they know Jesus or say they are Christian, these are people who are attending church regularly, have no idea what the Great Commission is. In fact, I've heard several pastors use the joke, it's not the Great Commission, it's the Great Omission. In other words, this is something that somehow we have forgotten about or we have completely left out. And it's really sad because this is supposed to be the very foundation of the church. This is what Jesus is telling his followers as he is leaving earth. This is his last thing that he tells them. And you can see similar things in the other gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, and even into Acts of the recording of what Jesus says as he's leaving earth. So without further ado, let's jump into Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 16, reading through verse 20. I'm not going to interrupt myself because I'm going to spend the rest of the time going back through it. it says, then the 11 disciples, I did it, I interrupted myself. This is minus Judas. There were 12. Judas is gone at this point. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the 11 disciples, it's 12 minus Judas, they go to a mountain. We don't know what mountain it is. Some theologians think it was the same mountain that he uh, fed the 5,000 on or the same mountain he did the uh, Sermon on the Mount to, but we don't know. It almost seems like it was worded in a way that it was only the disciples would know where to go to meet Jesus there. And so we don't know where it is, but Jesus comes and it says they saw him and they worshiped him. Some with doubt. What an interesting phrase that is there. They worshiped him and some had doubt. But they don't seem to fit together. Are you worshiping him or are you doubting him? And it was kind of a heart check to myself when I started studying this because I think I do the same thing. We can worship him and doubt him at the same time, especially if something's not going my way. I can worship him and I can come to church, but I'm also doubting, is this right? Like, how come I'm not getting what I want if he truly is God? I think the disciples, in some ways, were also in shock. Like, wait, we followed this guy. We thought he was going to do this. And then he did this. And he died. And then he wasn't dead anymore. And now he's meeting with us on a mountain. And he just kind of appears randomly at times. And I don't know if this is real. Is this a dream? Maybe you've been through some type of a, a tragedy in your life. And it, for days or weeks or even months, you're thinking, at some point, I'm going to wake up and this isn't real. At some point, the truth will come out and this isn't real. And I think some of the disciples were there. They were there and they were worshiping him, but they're thinking, this can't be real. I saw him murdered. I saw him dead. But now he's in front of me. But I also want to let that hit home for you as well of we can worship and doubt. That's not good. It's not okay. It shows that there is weakness in our faith, but it also shows our humanity. And it's something that I think we have to check ourselves on regularly. Are we worshiping him or are we doubting him and just going through motions? But the very first phrase that Jesus says after this, uh, says, then Jesus came to them and said, this is what Jesus announces. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on earth has been given to me. Now, please understand, up to this point in the book of Matthew, the entire book has really been nothing but a story of rejection. Joseph is rejected because his fiance is pregnant. Mary is rejected because she is pregnant. They are left to have, give birth in a stable. John the Baptist is rejected. His message, he's out in the wilderness and the Pharisees reject him. Jesus is rejected. His disciples are rejected by the political leaders or the, uh, the church leaders, if you will. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders are rejecting them to the point where Jesus is rejected by both the Roman government, the Jewish government, and the um, religious government, all three of them work together to reject him and murder him. And then he raises from the dead. And now 
the story of rejection concludes here with Jesus saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Point number one. Jesus' authority as the divine Son of God demands the worship of his disciples. Again, look what he says. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, there's two passages that we mention pretty regularly. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus leaving heaven and earth, the throne room, giving up his privilege to come to earth and live as a human being and eventually be murdered by the very humans that he created. And it says that now he sits on the right hand of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, another passage that I mention, I feel like I've mentioned it almost every week the last three weeks. Everything has been created by him and for him, that he is the ultimate authority. But I wanted to walk through some other passages that point to this. Daniel prophesies that in chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, uh, he had a dream, and in it, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Very strong words. There is a a lot of superlatives that are used when we talk about God and Jesus and the authority that God has now granted to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There are those superlatives that God has given Jesus all authority. There is absolutely nothing that has authority over Jesus. And then Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 on your own, keep reading through chapter 13. But Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me go back to the point one again. Jesus' authority as the divine Son of God demands the worship of his disciples. I've been in church a long time. I was one of those churchgoers that knew what the Great Commission was. But I'm sorry to say this is the first time that I went back and focused on all authority has been given to me. 
Jesus is making it very well known how powerful he is. That his reign cannot be questioned, it will not be shaken, and it will last for eternity. The forever kingdom that he is in control of. The forever kingdom that he is in charge of. So now, that is the authority by which is said next. Jesus is instructing the disciples, some of which are still doubting him, still doubting that this is real. And he is instructing them that what he orders them to carry out comes with it the highest authority that has ever been given. Because Jesus has this authority, we can have complete confidence that he is completely in control of all universal forces. Our obedience or disobedience to this command is telling of what actually has supreme authority in our life. How we respond to this command is telling what actually has supreme authority in our life. Think of it this way. There is nothing in life, and I've said this before, there is nothing in life that we have authority over us that we can disobey so freely and think that there will be no consequences for. When our boss asks us to do something at work and we decide we don't want to do it because we're too busy, there will be ramifications. In school, if your teacher gives you an assignment to do and you go home, but man, it was a good game on last night, I couldn't get it done, you won't get a good grade on that paper. And I can carry this throughout everything in life, but somehow, when God gives all authority to Jesus and he gives a command for us to do, we can brush it off. We can find other things to fill that gap. We can make excuses. And that brings us to the next word. This is my next point. This is a hinge word, and we've talked about this a lot. And it is simply the word therefore. What do we always say? Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Therefore, this word has such a powerful swing, such a powerful hinge to it. Let me explain. If we truly believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, what he's going to command us to do, he has all authority. Therefore, if you believe that, this is what follows. And I'm going to go through five different areas that follow if we truly believe that Jesus has all authority, if Jesus is actually who we worship. But the same is true if we do not carry out these five principles, these next five points, therefore, we do not believe Jesus has all authority. Again, we quote Romans 6 all the time. Uh, Shall I go on sinning that grace may abound? Meganoita, may it never be. No, we need to confront ourselves. And so I want this to be, now again, this whole summer, we've given you tool after tool after tool to put in your tool belt to use in discipleship relationships. How to go about finding those discipleship relationships, how to carry them out. And one of the first messages Cam talked about, discipleship has to be grace-filled. So yes, you are going to mess up. Yes, I am going to mess up. But we do not take advantage of that grace. Anyways, back to therefore. Therefore. 
This keyword indicates that we either believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we will obey his command, or simply we do not believe Jesus and we will live our lives obeying our idols that we have set up and worship without doubting them. See, we are very prone, and as you read through the Bible, and I hope you're still doing your Read Scripture app, if you are, we're actually going through Matthew right now, the whole Old Testament shows how prone we are to put idols in our life. And even now, you may not have something carved or a carved image or something like that in your possession, but we have things in our possession that become idols. We have things that exist, we may not possess them, but that we listen to, that we do not doubt, and that whatever it says, we follow, even if it means going against the very word of God. So, therefore, please understand how important this word is. Therefore, if you believe Jesus has all authority, look what he tells his disciples to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let's break that down into five different points. Point number one, go. Go. This requires action on your part. This requires us to do something. This does not allow us to sit home and do nothing. It is action. It is a verb. You must go. Where? Listen to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. Sometimes it's just going where we normally go anyways. It's just seeing as Jesus sees, which we've talked about. Sometimes just going to the store or asking. My uh, really good friend Mike Eaton came down to visit a couple times and I was so convicted because no matter where we go and we'd order food and he'd say to the person that we're buying it, hey, in a couple minutes we're going to pray for our meal. How can we be praying for you? And the cashier started crying and talking about how she's trying to live on the right track. She just graduated rehab two months ago and all this. And she actually came to our church for a while. Like, and I'm like, oh, I'm the pastor in this community. I should be the one doing this. And just he always is looking for opportunities to pray for people. Why? He's going where he normally goes. It's just he sees as Jesus sees. This also requires us to be in practice of listening to the Holy Spirit through an active prayer life, actively studying God's Word, actively meditating on Scripture, and knowing how to see people as Jesus sees people. Sometimes we go, but we haven't properly studied. We haven't been praying, we haven't been meditating, and if we aren't spending time in Jesus' words, how can we see people as Jesus sees them? It's still possible, yes, because God can do all things the way that he wants to do them, despite our own weaknesses. Remember, through our weakness, he shows his power. But are we spending time in God's word, praying, God, give me these opportunities? Are you going through your pie squared cards, praying for these individuals? Are you looking for opportunities to take time? I tried it this last week as I was walking through our neighborhood praying, God, you know, help me just to meet some of the people. I don't know many people, and I'm pushing Bodhi in a stroller. I met eight people, eight neighbors, after I got done praying that prayer. I've never met eight neighbors walking through my neighborhood before. It works. Believe it or not, prayer works. But you go. Understand, we talked a couple weeks ago about practice, how the Bible says practice, practice, practice. When it comes to hearing from the Holy Spirit, it takes practice. It takes practice to listen and let the Holy Spirit guide you. 
But the enemy of hearing from God is filling our life up with distractions. And we are so good at it. I mentioned it before at the beginning of the pandemic, sports were shut down, schools were shut down, work was shut down. All of these things that we use as excuses to not do what God has commanded us to do were taken away. And what did we do? We watched Tiger King. We found other things to distract us. We started adding other things instead of saying, wow, God has cleared up my schedule so much to worship him. We found other things to worship. We found other things to consume our time and our money. The enemy of hearing from God is filling our life up with distractions. Point number two. So number one is go. Point number two, make disciples of all nations. This is another action word. Make. It involves a process. It is God-guided, Holy Spirit-guided and driven, but it is also us making disciples. It is us doing something. We go and we make disciples, and then part of the problem, I think, here is we drop out of all nations. Make disciples, but then when it comes to other nations, we can play judge of other nations. We can start to decide which nation deserves what, which nation is okay and which nation we don't care for. That was not the command. What's so interesting here with the disciples is in Roman history, and I normally don't speak about the United States of America, but the United States and the Roman Empire are very similar in that there is a giant influx of other countries and nations into the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was this massive area that had engulfed different cultures and different people inside of it. And they all moved freely around inside. It's why we see uh, so many Jews from Israel, but they're located all over the world. And so Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all nations, not go and try to find other Jews that are living in other nations. He says, go into all nations. And that's what we see the disciples doing. As we've talked about the disciples and um, going through the book of Acts and going through John and now in Matthew, uh, you know, some we have facts of where they died and some is more just historical, but we have Andrew, who he said Andrew was so wonderful because anytime you see him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Not much is known of Andrew, but Andrew, they believe, was up near the Black Sea, up into what is now modern-day Russia, but Andrew was also believed to be in Ireland and in a couple other places. He traveled all over the place and then was eventually martyred, they believe, in what is now modern-day Russia. Doubting Thomas, if you remember when we were talking about him, and I said the poor guy got labeled Doubting Thomas, but he went all over Africa and he was believed murdered in India by Buddhist monks. He was martyred in India. So the disciples carried it out to all nations. We don't even know where some of the disciples traveled, but Jesus told them to go to all nations and they went. In fact, Matthew, the author of this book, is believed to have been martyred in Ethiopia. He went. The disciples obeyed because they had seen Jesus with their own eyes and they knew that when he said, all authority had been given to me, and then he told them to go and make disciples of all nations, they knew that that dropped the barrier of national, whatever. Doesn't matter where somebody's from, what language they speak or what they look like, they need to know Jesus first and foremost. So they went and they made disciples of all nations. A disciple, remember our definition of disciple that we went over, a disciple is a follower of Jesus that the gospel is continually transforming. And I hope you watched last week's message with Neil McGlowan. 
because that's exactly what he talked about. And we didn't discuss this at all in any way, but that's what we see. A disciple is someone who is continually allowing the gospel to transform their lives. So we make disciples by introducing them to Jesus and allowing the Spirit of God to continue and help guide them along as they move one step closer in the relationship with God. A disciple is a follower of Jesus that the gospel is continually transforming. But you're asking, other nations? What do you mean, other nations? And I want you to ask, have you ever stopped to think about how do you impact other nations living here in Somerville, South Carolina, or wherever you are watching this? Maybe you're watching this in another nation that is in America, and you're saying, but I live in X country, how do I influence other nations? We live at a time where there is so much influx of nations in other nations. Without leaving Somerville, South Carolina, you can reach many Spanish-speaking countries. Through our grocery giveaway, we've started to deliver groceries um, to um, lower-income people who live in North Charleston. We've been taking groceries down to them every, every month that we do a grocery giveaway. That has now allowed us to start building partnerships and getting a Spanish-speaking church, working along with two other churches, to be planted right there in that community as God has allowed us to start to build the infrastructure of reaching those people by bringing them food and by bringing them clothes that they are in need of. There are so many countries represented in those communities. Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, you name it, uh, Panama. There are so many people that we are impacting, that you are impacting when you give to Hope Church, that you are impacting when you come and serve at Hope Church. You are helping to impact other nations. Three weeks ago, we were in a meeting and we met a church planner who's planning a Chinese church here in South Carolina because I believe there's 20,000 Chinese-speaking people right here in this area. So how do we come alongside of them as they reach other nations here in our community? There is a huge Brazilian Portuguese speaking community in Goose Creek. How do we come alongside a church plant that just started in Goose Creek who is reaching those nations? Have you ever stopped and talked to your neighbors and found out maybe they are not from this country, they are from another nation? In 2003, I was in a college class talking about planting churches cross-culturally. And a big movement that was happening at that time was planting churches here in America, reaching specific demographics of people from other nations who then would go back to their countries or talk to their families on the phone and see a movement happen in those countries. That's how we reach other nations right there, by going to your neighbors and finding out where they're from by going into your own communities and finding out what nations are represented and going to them. We also um, have heard of different refugees that are coming. You more than likely know of what's happening in Afghanistan, and we know there's a church here in the area that is looking to bring Afghanistan refugees here into the low country area. Several years ago during the Syrian refugee crisis, I was invited to a church um, with several pastors to find out what we could do to help with the Syrian refugees come in. And a gentleman was there explaining, refugees pose no threat, and he was going on. And there was people there giving him constant arguing with him about everything, how they don't believe, they don't belong here in America. These are Christian leaders that were saying this. And I sat there and I walked away from the meeting and I got in my car and as I was driving back, I thought my whole life growing up, Every missions conference, if you're not from a church background, a missions conference is when your church invites all of these missionaries, and there's a theme, and you pray for the missionaries, and they're able to raise support, and the church supports them. 
But so many missions conferences were geared over praying for the 1040 window. If you don't know what the 1040 window is, it is the uh, northern longitude, latitude window. I'm looking at Will to get a clarification. Um, and the 1040 window includes the most populated area in the world, going from northern Africa all the way through China, includes India, includes all those countries in this belt. But it also is the representation of one, again, the most populated area in the world, but two, the most lack of Christian representation in that area. That includes Syria. That includes Afghanistan. And we prayed and prayed, Lord, save the 1040 window, send missionaries, send missionaries. And now here we are as pastors in a room, and we're told that people from the 1040 window were coming to be our neighbors, and pastors were saying no. I'll pray for them when they're over there, but I'm not going to pray for them here. I'm not going to try to reach them here. They belong over there. We do the same thing with different nations. In fact, some of you, as I mentioned, these uh, Central American, uh, South American countries, you're saying, no, not here. No, not here. We are to make disciples of all nations. So you have to ask yourself the question, do you have more concern about a so-called threat to your nation then you do a very real promise of eternal damnation on a human soul. Do you have more concern over a so-called or possible threat to your nation than you do over a very real promise of eternal damnation of a human soul? What is your driving motivation right now? What is your driving motivation today? I'll move on. Number three baptizing. Now, recorded, it's not as exciting right now, but this weekend we are baptizing two people that have decided wholeheartedly to follow after Christ, and it is so exciting. Um, I just, I, that's really one of my favorite, favorite things to do, and I believe next week we're going to have even more people being baptized as well, so I'm just so excited. But baptizing, um, as we follow this order, therefore, go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those words have never been used before in baptizing. Baptizing was a ritualistic cleaning in Jewish culture or many other cultures. But this baptizing, this immersion, was um, describing the activity by which a new disciple of Christ identifies with Jesus and his community. It is now saying, this is who I am part of. And when we say baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and when we baptize here at Hope Church, we say, uh, buried in the likeness of his death and risen again to new life. Behold, the old has passed away. All things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ. And now you are associated with other people who believe in Jesus Christ and his community being the church, the very body of Christ. So this represents you go, you make disciples of all nations. When they come to know the Lord, you baptize them, and now they are welcomed into the church. And I'm doing this briefly. I preached back in the spring about baptism. You can go back and watch all of our uh, message on baptism if you want to know more. And that leads to number four, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. What does that look like to teach somebody everything that Jesus commanded them? Well, I give you the book of Matthew. In fact, a lot of uh, theologians and 
people believe that Matthew, upon hearing these words, that Jesus says, go and teach everything to obey everything that I've commanded you, Matthew said, I got to write this down. And Matthew went and got a pen and he started writing. And if you look at the book of Matthew, as we continue to go through it, it is a series. It starts with the history of Jesus, but then it is a series of Jesus's messages and how they play out up until this very last message he gives his disciples. That is why Matthew is believed to be been used by many of the churches that were being formed all over the world as they'd use Matthew as kind of a book on, here's how you plan a church. In fact, I've been telling people uh, when we were planning churches, I said, start with the Sermon on the Mount, live that way, and if you live that way and invite others to live that way with you, you will have a church automatically start for you. And then you just continue through the book of Matthew to see what you do next. It is how the early church was started. So you go through the book of Matthew. That is how you teach people to know Jesus, to be transformed into his likeness. And again, teaching everything that Jesus commanded and obeying it, this is not done in a short study, but in a lifetime of leading by example and teaching with a lifestyle. Remember what Neil said last week. I love this point that he made. Every circumstance in life is a classroom for transformation. Every circumstance in life is a, is a classroom for transformation. How do we do that with our coworkers? How do we teach them how we view life as a classroom and we are being transformed in the image of Christ even when things don't go our way? How do we do that with our spouses? Yeah, that's hard. I just said it. I didn't think about that before. How do we do that with our spouses? How do we do that with our children? How do we guide our children into this classroom of every situation in life being an ability to transform them into Christ? likeness. Now I feel really guilty. All right. <laughs> Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then number five, number five ends with this beautiful, beautiful promise. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew. And it's the angel tells Mary, and you will name him Emmanuel, God with us. Here Jesus is, he lives the entire life here on earth, being God with them. And now he gives them this command. He starts off with a promise. I have all authority. There is nothing that has authority over me. God has given me all authority. Do these things. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How could the disciples go out into all nations knowing that they were going to die? How can the disciples live the way that they live, knowing that they would be killed? Simple. They obeyed God. Why? Because he had all authority. So they went out and they did exactly what he said to do. Why? Because they could listen to the Holy Spirit that was guiding them. And they knew that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, would be with them to the very end of that age. To the very end of the church age, he will be with you. Doubt was removed. They lived a life of worship. Worship meaning service. They served him. The majority, if not all of the disciples, would be killed for their faith going into all the nations. So how do we remember this? This seems like a lot. If we go back to the very beginning, uh, and when we started the discipleship series, we introduced our discipleship chart that we call it. Uh, at the top it will say, Discipleship is helping one person move one step closer in the relationship with God. 
And then we have this chart where in the middle there is a cross, and that represents salvation. And on the one side of it is evangelism, and you can see how you can help people come to know Christ. Being able to kind of say, are they close to knowing Christ or are they very far from knowing Christ? How do I pray for them? How do I uh, invest in them? How do I invite them to know Jesus? And how do I demonstrate that I sincerely love and care for them and I, I sincerely love and want them to know the same Jesus that I know and the wonderful relationship that that is? And then they come to know Christ. And that's where that cross represents. But then it's this, what we've called progressive sanctification, the continual process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So to simplify it, Think of it this, that first section is go. Where the cross is, that's baptism. That is now they are associated with Christ and his church. And then that next section is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is the process of going and making disciples. And then as a big umbrella over the whole thing, I am with you always. No matter where you are in this journey, I am with you. No matter who you are trying to reach in this journey, I am with you. No matter when the conversation goes great, I am with you. When the conversation goes bad, I am with you. I am with you always. When we walk in the Spirit, we live out our Christ-like transformation. Galatians chapter 5, if you walk in the flesh, this is what your life does. If you walk in the Spirit, this is what your life looks like. When we walk in the Spirit and we allow Him to guide us, this is what our life not just looks like to us, but this is what our life looks like to the world around us. When we walk in the Spirit, we live out our Christ-like transformation for all to see. And when we are living like Christ, people can't help but say, I want that. How do they live differently? Why are they not so caught up in what's happening in the world and what's happening in the politics and what's happening with whatever? How do they stay above that? It's because they're walking in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, you're filled with joy and peace, love, kindness, compassion. Are those the things that demonstrate that we are different? Are those the things that demonstrate that our lives are being transformed into Christ? I'll close with this. Our actions are telling of who or what we actually worship. Our actions or our, our works are telling of who, of who or what we actually worship. Our telling of who or what we actually serve. Our telling of who or what has actually captured our minds and our hearts. The way that we live demonstrate who has captured that. We say this all the time, actions speak louder than words. Another saying that we say all the time here at Hope Church, and I'm sorry if you haven't heard it yet, you may not have been here very long, or you've been trying to chase kids down in a parking lot and haven't been able to listen to the message very well. But how we spend our time, money, and relational equity is telling of what we actually worship. Where or how we spend our time, our money, and our relational equity, what do our relationships look like? It is telling of what we actually worship. It is telling of what we actually serve. I want to finish one more time. If Jesus has all authority, which he does, if we believe that Jesus has all authority, therefore, we will go, we will make disciples of every nation, we will teach them how to obey everything that he has commanded us, because he is with us always. 
But if we are not making disciples, if we are not going, if we are not teaching, therefore, do we really believe that Jesus is the ultimate authority? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. But Lord, I also thank you so much that you are with us always, that you did not leave us deserted, but you gave us your word who, that is Jesus breathed into words so that we may know you, that you have given us an opportunity that we can come before you and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, that we can come before the almighty God with a father-child relationship, that you have given us your Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, help us to see the distractions that we have set up, these idols that we have set up in our life that keep us from hearing you. Lord, I pray that you guide us, that this isn't just a series that now we move on and forget about, but this is something that we take to heart and that we live out because you have given your son Jesus all authority and he has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything and that he promises he is with us to guide us. Lord, we thank you. We love you that you care so much for us. We, th we are so thankful that in our weakness you demonstrate your power, that you have called sinful human beings to live out, to demonstrate how powerful and loving and forgiving and gracious you are. I pray these things in Jesus' name.